listening to episode 18, chapter 4 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he will help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. And today we're continuing our conversation with Dr. Leo Sanchez. Leo Sanchez is the Warner R.H. and Elizabeth R. Krauss Professor of Hispanic Ministries at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. A faculty member since 2004, he's Professor of Systematic Theology and Director of the Seminary's Center for Hispanic Studies. He received his Doctor of Philosophy from Concordia Seminary and his Master of Divinity from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He holds a bachelor's degree from Concordia University, Wisconsin, in Mequon. Leo teaches regularly in the United States and abroad, and he's delivered courses and workshops in Brazil, Cuba, India, Ghana, Chile, Panama, Argentina, and Venezuela. He has participated in various colloquies on pedagogy through the Wabash Center for Teaching and Learning in Theology and Religion. In his community, Leo is principal double bass player with the St. Louis Civic Orchestra, and he also enjoys swimming and international cooking. He and his wife, Tracy Lynn, have two children, Lucas Antonio and Anna Victoria. Do you have a tendency to think about your walk with Christ in individual terms? I know I do. It's easy to become too focused on our own growth, our own behavior, and our own sin that we forget about those around us. It's even possible to get so focused on our service for Christ that we overlook those whom we are called to serve, our neighbors. But Leo's sacrificial and hospitality models challenge us to recognize our callings to lay down our lives in order to serve others as Jesus did. I remember giving a Bible study when I was starting to think about these models. And I asked people after, I think, talking about the first three, I started with three models initially, the renewal, the dramatic, and then the uh, sacrificial model, the third one, which describes life in the spirit as a sharing in Christ's servanthood. Uh, So, you know, I described the three models and then I asked people in the Bible study, if there was one of them that they identify with the most. Um, and the, one of the, the, the persons, I think it was like a millennial, you know, and millennials are into like cause, like what's, what's a good cause to live by? And they're big into the community, you know, kind of with the Gen Xers that way too. And uh, I think he says something like, I just want to know, like, I just want to serve people, man. You know, I just, just want to go out in the community and see what the needs are. Uh, and someone else say, was saying, I think life is a struggle. You know, I'm constantly under attack. And then another person said, I, I'm just dealing with, you know, I don't, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm not good enough for the Lord. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a good enough Christian. Well, clearly, they're in entirely different places in their lives, you know. Uh, so that young millennial, he was looking for kind of ways of being a servant like Christ is, you know. He wasn't uh, saying, I'm struggling with guilt right now. Uh, he wasn't saying, I'm struggling with spiritual attacks. He was saying, give me an opportunity for service. And that's kind of what the third model gets at. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I like you said it focuses on uh, the need for purpose, significance, or meaning in life, giving sanctification a neighbor-oriented uh, trajectory, which I really yeah. like because most of the time when we think about sanctification or justification, any of these theological terms, we, we, we have a tendency to turn them inward. They're all about us. And right. so in this, you take it, and it's part of the Spirit's work to make us like Christ, to point us towards the neighbor and to go out and fulfill mission, right? That's right. So this is the dying to self idea in order to make room for the neighbor. And it's, uh, you know, over time, I started to think that maybe all these models of sanctification had a social trajectory, too, precisely because I was afraid of what you just said, that, you know, when we talk about holiness, we make this very individualistic. And it's all about my own growth, but usually growth in a kind of perfectionistic way, you know. Uh, how am I uh, holier than thou? <laughs> and uh, But, you know, the renewal model also deals with setting right relations among us. So it's, there's a communal dimension. The dramatic model, you know, we need the community of saints to fight against the spiritual attacks that come our way. The sacrificial model, uh, that's very neighbor-oriented. To the extent that sanctification is defined more by the neighbor's needs. You want to know what it means to live a holy life? Go ask your neighbor what his needs are. Your neighbor, to some extent, determines what sanctification was going to look like. And that's a very kind of uh, very um, humiliation-like way of thinking about sanctification, where you don't get to define it. Someone else defines it for you. Yeah. <laughs> Unpack that a little bit, because I know questions are going to come in on, on that point. What do you yeah. mean by other people define what our sanctification looks like? Because yeah. you know, I, I know that Western individualism pushes back <laughs> against that hard. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, in the sense that God has called us to love our neighbor, so he has defined by his will, right, what the shape of the Christian life is. That includes serving neighbors. But then the question is how? I mean, God tells you that we should love our neighbor. And the commandments, of course, also, right, tell you how in some ways. But um, the neighbor's needs define that even more specifically. So, for example, the commandment tells me uh, that I should not kill uh, and uh, another way of saying the same thing is that we should promote the neighbor's well-being. So God defines what it is, right? But what does it mean to promote the neighbor's well-being? Well, that means I need to know my neighbor. It, it means that there's a certain kenosis, you know, it, kenosis, right? The, the Greek term for um, uh, 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 for emptying, right? Emptying. This needs to be an emptying of myself in order to make room for the other, the neighbor, uh, in order to serve them well, I need to know what their needs and their struggles are in life so that then I can share the gifts that God has given me with them. You know, So spiritual growth here in some ways uh, comes with a certain maturity in learning about your neighbor over time. So I think, for example, for those of us who are married, you know, if you compare 
your marriage when you first started with your marriage later in life, hopefully there has been some growth. <laughs> uh, I mean, you can think back and say, well, maybe I wasn't a very good husband, you know. Um, I didn't know how to, uh, maybe I was just too interested in my own needs, you know. I, I wasn't really in tune with my spouse's needs. But over time, as you grow in marriage together, you begin to learn how to uh, empty more of yourself so that you might fill more of the other person's life. And I think there's a certain maturity and growth in the spiritual life that comes simply from living in that school of the Holy Spirit, which is the school of our relationships with one another in which God has placed us. And so to me, that's a Christ-like life. I mean, look at the sons of Zebedee. They want to be at the right hand of Jesus and the left hand or whatever. Uh, and being at the right hand, you know, would have meant to be, you know, you know, divinely sovereign over all things. And Jesus says, no, uh, you want to be my disciples. Uh, then you need to exercise your power, but through sacrifice. Uh, that's how Jesus displays his divinity, in a sense, is through sacrifice for others. And so, you know, um, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what discipleship looks like. Thank you. for that. That's really helpful because I, I was afraid what most people would hear from that is other people define our sanctification of like they get to tell us what life looks like. And so your your description is very helpful because it is. It's understanding that God has you at the time and place that he has you right now in order to serve the needs of those around you. So go meet them, get to know them, and begin to serve in the place that he has you. And so in that sense, every opportunity that you have for growth is all around you right now. That's right. That's the daily growth discipleship tenet right there, is yep. that growth is possible in every moment of every day, if we have eyes to see what, what God is willing to do in our Absolutely. lives. Absolutely. If, if we only look beyond ourselves a little bit, <laughs> yeah. So how does this differ a little bit from the hospitality model? Because yeah, that's the hospitality Yeah, it's still it is it's very other oriented, but you say it's to marginalized and vulnerable neighbors. Yeah, I mean these are very close to each other. In some ways, you could say that this is sacrificial model one and sacrificial model two. Uh, but uh I think I wanted to bring out in the hospitality model, another type of sacrificial service, I think, which is, I mean, one thing is to serve neighbors who are in close proximity to us and that uh, uh, we might be perhaps a bit more comfortable with. Uh, another thing is to serve uh, what is uh, it's often called the other, right? The ones who are so different from us that, um, we're a bit more uncomfortable going there. And I wanted to highlight how in the life of Jesus, his life in the spirit is one that actually moves him uh, kind of outside the boundaries of uh, the people of, uh, of Israel, even though his main call is to the lordship of Israel. There are these times when he just sort of, you know, walks the border between Samaria and Galilee, for instance, <laughs> which is like, what is he doing there? You know, uh, should he be in Jerusalem? You know, that's the that's where the temple is. That's where the holy 
uh, people, the the fancy theologians are. But what's he walk? What, why is he walking in in uh, marginal lands? And so I think there are other narratives in the scriptures that really want us to pay attention to how we deal with people whom we will often typically think of as kind of being excluded from the kingdom. Um, so the Samaritans, right? The lepers. Uh, in the book of Acts, Philip, um, you know, the work of Philip, I think, embodies, you know, uh, a Christ-like hospitality towards the outsiders, right? Because he deals with Greek-speaking Jewish widows who feel that they're not fully in, um, uh, uh, and he does that as a deacon. Then as an evangelist, right, uh, uh, he brings uh, the gospel to the Samaritans. Who would have thought that the Samaritans could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? But hey, you know, here we go. We're surprised. Um, and then the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, does he really belong in the temple or not? He's kind of in, but he's out. But through Christ, you know, he's fully in, you know. Uh, and so I think those stories uh, challenge us to, to, to think in terms of, you know, who are the outsiders and the marginalized those who we're especially uncomfortable with today for a variety of reasons. Yeah, I think it's an important model to include because it's hard enough for us to get our heads around serving our neighbors, and we instantly think of our neighbors as, like you said, the people who identify with us, the people who look like us. And so, you know, it, it's enough of a sacrifice to do that. And then we we pass by, you know, the, the hurt person on the road every single day, not, not actually stopping to think that those might be our neighbors. And look, one of the, the, the biggest incidents that comes to my mind was a few years ago when the whole Syrian refugee crisis was, was big, and we were in a huge debate about whether or not they should be coming to the United States or not. And uh, we wrote a blog post on a different website that we had at the time, um, Theology in Progress, about why we should accept Syrian refugees. And it was basically this this point. So I feel a little vindicated in that, in that, in that because <laughs> but but it's it's not that it's not a challenge and it's not that there weren't legitimate issues being raised, but it you're right, it is a sacrificial model point too to to look at that and say it might cause me to die a little bit more. I might have to 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 really plunge the depths and really look again at reevaluate who the neighbor is, right, is to look at, um, and, and you see this theme all the way throughout the, the Old Testament, and that's why I love, like, we've tried to emphasize a lot of our citizenship is not of this kingdom, it's of the kingdom of God. And so I, I think that's why that's an important point to, to grasp, is because then it looks, you know, we, we begin to see ourselves as marginalized peoples sojourning in this world, and so it, it sort of makes that connecting with Additionally, marginalized people is easier, perhaps. I don't because know. you yourselves were once. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Sojourners yeah. or strangers in a foreign land, so accept the foreigner. That's right. Yeah, and It's really, hospitality is about the vulnerability aspect. If, mm -hmm. you, if you're called to open your door, there's a certain act of opening yourself up and making yourself vulnerable, and people aren't comfortable. That's why it's easier to be hospitable to your neighbors that you trust because there's less vulnerability required for oh, that yeah. oh <laughs> so yeah that i think that act of vulnerability as well is a, a way of demonstrating that your trust is not in yourself or your own ability to protect yourself it's in 
it's in Christ and his leading and guiding you to be more like him. Yeah. No, I love, I love uh, how, you know, in the history of the church, uh, the exhibit A, example of Christ-like hospitality is Abraham. Both for the Old Testament church and the New Testament church. Uh, and Luther, in one of his Genesis lectures, talks about uh, the church as the house of Abraham in the world. I find that incredibly powerful language. You know, that, that the church is supposed to be seen as a kind of hospitable community in the world. You know, that doesn't mean that in the world you don't have nation states that have their laws and you have to somehow deal with those laws somehow. Uh, but what should the church's basic disposition be? towards outsiders, you know, as the people of God, right, as the uh, pilgrims who walk in this world as aliens, in a sense, you know, uh, is to have a certain disposition toward those who are alien, you know. And so to see that Yahweh uh, has a certain sort of loving disposition towards outsiders which includes widows, orphans, the poor, aliens, and then to see how Jesus embodies Yahweh's hospitality by attending to the temporal and spiritual needs of outsiders. You see, that in a way is giving us a sense of what a spiritual life is. Jesus fulfills it in a human way, and now by giving us His Spirit, He invites us into this. Uh, uh, life of hospitality, to be the house of Abraham in the world, right? Or to be a Philip uh, in the world. It's easy to get caught up in your own spiritual growth and development and forget that a big part of becoming more like Christ means showing his love and grace to other people. This is especially true when it comes to those who are on the fringes of your community and may not be accepted by everyone. I want to challenge you today to think outside yourself. Your transformation into the image of Christ really won't be complete until you learn how to do this. It means looking for the marginalized and the people who don't really fit into society. It means opening your life and your doors to them, allowing the Spirit to work through you the same way He worked through Jesus. It won't always be easy to do this, though. And it will sometimes mean sacrificing your own desires and need for self-preservation. But when it gets tough, work with the Spirit and allow Him to sculpt your life in this area, making you more like Christ. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Leo Sanchez and his work, check out concordiatheology.org. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation where Leo unpacks the value of sleep for sanctification. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.